You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, Facebook Design, Google Design, and MailChimp. You know, there's three things that sets designing at Facebook apart from designing anywhere else. Scale, variety, and investment. Facebook's design work has impact at scale, including your friends and family or people from the other side of the world. Facebook Design also works on a huge and diverse range of problems, and they truly invest in design, caring deeply about how their team might do their best work. Sound interesting? Then learn more about them at facebook.com forward slash design. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses. Now, you may not know this, but before I started Revision Path, really before I started at Glitch, uh, I had my own studio called Lunch, like breakfast, lunch, dinner. (laughs) Um, I ran that for a little over nine years, and during that time, I was fortunate to not only be a MailChimp expert, but later on become a MailChimp partner. So I know inside and out that MailChimp not only puts out a killer product for managing email, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, they've now expanded to do landing pages, Uh, You can do postcards, like physical postcards now. Uh, But also, MailChimp is a really great place to work. There's really dope people that work there, some of which we've even had here on the show. So whether you're just starting out or you want to take your business to the next level, give MailChimp a try. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Now for this week's interview. We're talking to Aisha Blake, a web developer for Detroit Labs in Detroit, Michigan. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Aisha Blake. I am a web developer for a company called Detroit Labs. We are, as you may have guessed, located in Detroit. (laughs) We do a lot of mobile apps, but I am actually a web developer by trade, I guess. (laughs) I work on some pretty exciting stuff here. I am also the chapter leader or one of the chapter leaders for the Detroit chapter of Girl Develop It, which is a national nonprofit. We teach women to code um, in an affordable, accessible workshops. And I uh, recently, this year, co-founded a meetup called Detroit Speakers in Tech. And we really train and support diverse people who are interested in either beginning to speak meetups, conferences, or just improve their presentation skills in general. Wow. Now, I know that Detroit kind of has this, I don't know, there's like a stereotype about Detroit that I really don't like. I mentioned this before we started recording. I have family in Detroit, like a lot of my mom's side of the family lives in Detroit. And I feel like the city always just gets like a bad reputation for being run down or corrupt or all this sort of stuff. I mean, you being in the city, what is it that people need to know about Detroit that you think they're getting wrong? Oh my gosh. There's, they're getting a lot wrong. I'll tell you (laughs) that. I've been here for about five and a half years now. And there is just so much happening. There's so much to learn here That's honestly what drew me back to the city. My first, (laughs) my first night here was actually after a goalball tournament, (laughs) which we can talk about later if you'd like. Okay. Goalball in short is a sport for blind and visually impaired athletes. Mm -hmm. There's one of the biggest tournaments in the country is actually right outside Detroit. I stayed a night later and got to know a little bit about the city. And I was just like, immediately, I fell in love. And I didn't think that that was possible. I was living in New York City at the time. I was like, this is the greatest city ever. I'm never going to (laughs) leave. And I was totally wrong. And just in the time that I've been here, there's so much has changed. 
there's obviously a lot of investment coming into certain neighborhoods and that has really fueled a lot of entrepreneurship, a lot of innovation, particularly in the tech industry. And there are all of these other groups, all of these communities, all of these neighborhoods who are kind of taking advantage of that momentum and using it to build the things that they need because it's not necessarily being fairly distributed by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I. It sounds like there's I, like a lot of momentum, I guess, in general, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's an incredible amount. It, this still feels like a place where you can, if there's something that you see a need for, you can start it. Okay. So it's a very, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess fertile kind of community, I guess. Yeah, I, that's a good word. Okay. I like it. So with the work that you're doing at Detroit Labs, can you kind of just, you know, tell me like, what's a typical day like for you there? It really depends on the team that you're on. So right now I am on one of our web teams and we do a lot of metrics. I deal a lot with the data side of things, but we, it's a lot of graphs and charts and tons of data. So for me, when I come in, I'll, you know, work for a little bit. Most of our teams do some form of an agile workflow. So my team will start with a stand-up in the beginning of the day. And then depending on the flow that we've kind of settled on, I might pick up a card or we might, you know, have cadence meetings. One thing that I really love about Detroit Labs is that we are really empowered to kind of guide our own professional development. So there are a lot of sort of subgroups that will meet throughout, you know, throughout the month. So I am part of an accessibility work group. So that we'll meet monthly. Uh, I'm part of a group of web developers that will meet and discuss articles uh, and that sort of thing. And then, you know, at the end of our two week sprint, we, we, our team in particular will demo with the client over the phone or rather over video, video conference and we'll, we'll demo what we've done that sprint and kind of level set on expectations for the next one. And you say that Detroit Lab mostly kind of builds mobile apps. Is that right? That's correct. Mostly. Uh, though I've noticed we're definitely open to other forms of work. And like I said, I actually have very little mobile experience. My project is entirely web-based. Uh, we've also done a number of sort of like cool experimental things that I can't talk about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you are kind of in the space where you aren't sure whether a thing can be done, you could also come to Detroit Labs and have some really, really incredibly intelligent and, in, and creative creative people uh, try and make it work. And honestly, chances are they probably will make it work. Well, yeah, but imagine, you know, if you've got labs in the name, there's going to be a good bit of experimentation yeah. going on. Do you all work on on projects that are, I guess, mostly about Detroit or about the city? Or do, do you have clients kind of all over? No, we have clients all over. The big one that people talk about a lot uh, is Domino's Pizza. So like that, that kind of national reach, I mm-hmm. guess. But we do also work, we mostly work with larger companies, but we've done a number of projects with, with smaller ones. It, it just kind of depends on the scope and the budget, you know, but not necessarily Detroit-based. Okay. And how long have you been there now? I've been at Detroit Labs for about about a year and a half. Yeah. Okay. So still like not... Super new, but new enough, kind of. Yeah, I definitely still feel like <laughs> I'm in like the academy and from Star Trek. No, I I know how you feel. I've been now at my current job for pretty much about a year now, and we've brought on new people since then. I think we've brought on maybe about seven or eight new people since then, but I still feel sort of new in like the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So I know what you mean. It's that kind of weird feeling like, you know, enough to teach new people, but not enough to be seasoned yet, I guess. <laughs> <A little bit. laughs> 
So you mentioned being in New York City. You mentioned this goalball tournament and, and uh, you know, that kind of making you fall in love with the city. So, yeah, I was just sort of curious in general, what made you want to stay in Detroit after that? Like, what really brought you here? The initial night in Detroit was spent couch surfing. I stayed in Corktown. And it happened to be a Sunday that Detroit Soup was happening. Detroit Soup is like a monthly community dinner. That's the citywide soup where four people will, or four people organizations will present a project. And you, as an attendee, have the opportunity to come in. It's kind of a pay what you can. Um, There's a suggested donation that you pay at the door. Mm -hmm. Then you come in, you get to sit and chat and meet people. You hear the pitches And you also get to hear, I think it's 30 seconds from everybody who has donated food for the evening. And then you go and you eat your dinner and you continue chatting and you decide who you want to vote for. And the person or the organization with the most votes at the end of the night gets the pot. Oh, interesting. Yeah, for whatever project that they have presented. And it's this amazing program. They've like now taken it to other parts of the world. Different neighborhoods in Detroit have started their own soups. It's just, it's so cool. It's one of my favorite things. And my host, my couch surfing host, took me to Detroit Soup that night. And I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs> I, I had no idea something like this existed. How, how have I never done something like this in New York? And just so many things happened that night that I was like, I have to come back. I have to come back. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I have to do it. And then not a month later, I was actually placed in Detroit as a Jesuit volunteer. Okay. So I spent my first year in Detroit volunteering full-time. And in that time, I initially intended to move back to New York but I think I got maybe three months in before I, I literally called my mom and I was like, I think I love it here. <laughs> I think I'm going to stay. And yeah, I just, the more time I spent here, the more people I met, the more I got involved in different communities I realized that there was a girl develop a chapter here. And I was like, well, there was just so much that I wanted to do that I decided to stay. Wow. So it really seems like that spirit of like volunteering and collaborating and all of that really kind of made you fall in love with the city. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. The Detroit soup concept sounds really good. I'm actually, I'm looking at the, at the website now and it says, $5 $5 get you soup, salad, bread, and a vote. You don't even get that at Olive Garden. That's pretty good. <laughs> and, and yeah, there's there's citywide soups. Or, I'm <clears throat> sorry, there's a citywide soup. But then there's also ones for individual neighborhoods. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. That is such a cool concept. I really love that. Now, when you moved here, as I was doing my research, I want to talk about the house. Can sure. we talk about <laughs> Couch House Detroit? Because the more that I read about this project, the more I got just just super inspired about it. Can you tell the audience about that? I'm so glad you say that. I was actually super inspired by a very similar project in Cleveland. So I love couchsurfing. This has been a thing for me since I was probably like 14. I like read about it in a newspaper in Tampa. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mom, 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 we have to do this. And she looked, she looked at me and she's like, no. <laughs> so I had to wait. I had to wait a little while until I was 18 and out of my house. But at catch surfing, the gist is rather than staying at a hotel or a hostel or something like that, when you travel, you connect with a person online and you stay with them. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like, you know, I want to go back to New York. And I, you know, so I call up my friend, John, and say, Hey, you know, are you going to be around this weekend? It's an exchange though. It very much. So it's, it's about making a connection, at least for me, 
so all through college, I was hosting in my dorm. I had some very gracious sweet mates mm-hmm. who got pretty into it, I would say. They were a good balance for me because if it were up to me, it would just be a never-ending like cycle of new surfers. But I got more involved with the local community when I moved to Detroit after my year of service. All of my friends moved away and suddenly I was like, oh, really sad. <laughs> I've got to go like, find some people. And it just it happened that a group of couch surfers was starting up a weekly board game night. And I just made this incredible group of new friends. I started getting super involved again. And when I moved into my house, or rather, I'm jumping again. As part of that, I went to an event called Couch Crash in Cleveland. Okay. Uh, Couch Crash is a couch surfing event where the couch surfers in a community will kind of pull together an agenda basically for the weekend. It's like a giant party and couch surfers from all over can come and hang out and learn about the city and just have fun with other couch surfers. Mm -hmm. So I went to the Cleveland couch crash with a bunch of other people from Detroit and we met this incredible couple and they, they actually own this duplex and they, they live in half of it. And they keep the other half as a place where couch surfers can kind of come and go. And, you know, some people will stay for a really long time and they'll like cut the grass or work on the house or whatever. And they'll just kind of get ingrained into the community. And some people it's a shorter, it's a shorter stay, you know, it might be one or two nights, but they are just so entrenched in the community. They really are like this anchor Mm -hmm. and, I was like, I would love to have this in Detroit uh, because even among couch surfers, it's going back to that sort of preconception that people have about the city. Like I've heard, I will never forget. Uh, there's this big, tall German guy who was visiting a suburb of Detroit. He was like doing some sort of exchange or internship or something. And he was a couch surfer and he had no intention of coming to Detroit. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, you're 20 minutes away. How could you not? You're going to be here for six months, a year, and you're not going to come to Detroit? I couldn't understand it. And so it's really important to me to try and make this space where hopefully people can feel comfortable coming and, and seeing the city for themselves and learning about it and connecting with people who actually live here and getting like a real understanding as much as they can mm-hmm. of Detroit. So it's a work in progress. So talk about the process that you kind of went through to start your couch house in Detroit. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, it, it was a trial. <laughs> Everyone that knows me has heard me talk about this house in the last like four years. I had been looking for a while I've been looking at houses through the Detroit Land Bank Authority. So these are houses that were up for auction. Mm-hmm. And I was there were a few things I was looking for. I was looking for a two-family flat. I was looking for something that would allow me to continue to ride my bike downtown, which is where I work. And ideally, I was looking for something that was not so far gone that I would need to destroy it and only to, you know, build a new house on top of it. And it took a while. Uh, there were, I found a lot of places that I was like, oh, maybe, um, but they were just so far away from downtown that, you know, I would have had to drive. And there, you already have to drive in Detroit for most things, but it's, it's Motor City. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some people get by on the bus. If I can help it, I will not ride a bus. And it doesn't matter what city it is. I have some very strong feelings about buses in general. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) So I found this house finally. And it was like, I hesitate to admit this, but it was two days before the auction. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went and I'm like snooping around this house. (laughs) 
<laughs> because there was no time. They wouldn't, they, there was no time to like get an appointment to be let inside the house. So I just kind of had to look at it, hope that everything was going to be okay. I did get an inspector in there as soon as I could. So I'm not, I'm not completely irresponsible. <laughs> And I mean, I guess when people think about like stereotypes about Detroit, I think housing is probably one of the the biggest ones. Like there's abandoned houses, raised houses, boarded up houses, et cetera. Absolutely. And there's, there's still so much of that. And there's a combination of things, you know, like actually my next door neighbor told me that she'd been, she'd been considering leaving because this house had been in such disrepair for so long. And she'd mm-hmm. been in the house for I want to say three decades. Oh, wow. She'd been in this house a long time. And and she was contemplating leaving because this house next door was just such an eyesore. And I, I, I don't blame her. Uh, I, I still, it's still, like I said, a work in progress. But yeah, I, so I went through NACA, which I could never remember what the acronym is. But so um, you went through NACA for, to like purchase the house or? Correct. Okay. The Native Assistance Corporation of America. Gotcha. I went through NACA. And they had, I think they had just recently opened the office in Detroit. So what was great about that was there was sort of a training bubble, if you will. <laughs> you could not go through this process without learning a lot about homeownership and a lot about how a mortgage works and I actually had to take, because it was a multifamily unit, I had to take a land or rather um, a landlord class. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of great like education initiatives kind of baked into that that were fantastic. The organization of the whole ordeal was not the best. It was this partnership with the Detroit Land Bank Authority and NACA. And I I came to find out that this was the first home loan of this kind that they're going through with, which explains some of the difficulties that I went through. But it was a very long and very stressful process to just get the house, to get the loan so that I could afford to renovate the house. Because the house itself was not, it's not very much. I was able to pay for the house itself in cash. And so I then went through the process of dealing with a general contractor who did the bulk of the work or contracted out the bulk of the work, which was another really traumatic experience, honestly. And so now I am actually, uh, I just went to a meeting. We're at a point where my house is livable. I can Mm -hmm. live in it. I do live in it with my boyfriend and another couple which like, if not for them, I honestly don't know if I could afford to keep the house. Okay. Uh, They're just like fantastic. And we're sort of very slowly chipping away at the things that still need to be done. I just joined a group of women who are homeowners, like uh, who bought their houses on their own. And so we're kind of trying to organize together to one, find contractors that we can trust or at least, you know, as far as we need to, <laughs> yeah. to actually get the job done. But also kind of learning and teaching each other to do some of the things that we can do to complete projects in our homes. So it sounds like, I mean, because of the name Couch House, I'm guessing there's also couch oh, yeah. surfing that goes <laughs> on there too. <laughs> there is couch surfing. So the idea of the Couch House is that we eventually... We live in one unit and then another unit is just entirely given over to couch surfers. Hmm. Like anybody can, well, not anybody, but with some exceptions. And I've had some pretty great luck with couch surfers. I've hosted hundreds and I've never, I've never had a bad experience. I am pretty discerning about who I like allow into my home, but I've very rarely gotten even gotten a bad vibe from someone in a message like it's still a pretty great community as far as you know my experience goes but the idea is the house is pretty open and it's a space where you know people can come and connect with each other and with the community the like surrounding community ideally 
I would love to have some studio space in my lower unit. So like people who are maybe painters can come and paint. Or if you're a musician, you know, you could come and just jam with other surfers. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people that kind of come through for, you know, music festivals and that sort of thing. But that way people kind of have their own space and and that would allow me to have people stay for longer periods as well. Yeah. I remember when Airbnb started, I thought like the first thing I thought was this is just couch surfing with like money attached to it. Yes. Cuz I cuz <laughs> I remember there's a like there's a couch surfing website. So as I'm sure people are listening, the concept of couch surfing is not new. But I remember like this maybe might have been the early 2000s or so there was actually a website called i think it was couchsurfing.com or something like that oh yeah and, it's and still you could, a thing <laughs> oh it is oh cool okay yes, yeah you could like that's the website i use oh well there you go yeah you could like coordinate with people around the world if there was a city that you were going to be at you could crash on a couch or something like that and i was like yeah couch surfing kind of walked so airbnb could fly <laughs> I, yeah. I really i really think that and i think it's it's good like you said you have to be discerning about who you choose to, uh, you know, kind of include in this, right? I mean, this is someone you're letting into your home. So it's already kind of a, you know, you're letting them into a very private space. They're sleeping there. They're working there, you know, possibly. So there's a lot of like trust that has to go into that. Exactly. Yeah. So with Girl Develop It, you're said that you're volunteering through there. What drew you to, uh, to that organization? Were you working with them in New York? Briefly, yes. I t- I took, mm, I think, one or two workshops way back. This would have been in the, it must have been in the first or second year of Girl Develop It. I was a student in New York, and I was actually an information science major. And I think I, I was taking a PHP class for them, and I was, I was struggling. I was like, I don't understand where we're going with this. I need some sort of outside guidance. Mm -hmm. And I realized that at some point during that semester, there was an organization called Girl Develop It who was teaching a PHP class. And I was like, well, I guess I have to go. And it was amazing. I loved it. I, it was so cool to no longer be one of like three women in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Just like that alone was revolutionary for me. And on top of that, I was also getting this information, which was essentially the same information mm-hmm. presented in a way that really worked for me. It was really accessible. And I loved it. I was, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel comfortable volunteering at the time which is funny because I volunteered for everything else in college, but it was amazing for me to come to Detroit and then have that opportunity again to learn from these amazing women and then to have a chance to give back and start to volunteer myself. I was a full-time volunteer through the Jesuit volunteer Corps at a high school called um, Detroit Cristore High School. Mm-hmm. And if you know the model, the Chris Array model, uh, you know that the students have jobs. Oh, in the Detroit school, and this is a this is a network of high schools across mm-hmm. the country. Um, but in, in the Detroit school, each student would work five days per month, and as consequence, their school days are a little longer. But the idea is like this is a private Catholic college preparatory education. And it is partly paid for, largely paid for by the partner companies and organizations that employ the students. Mm-hmm. There is still some commitment on the part of the family to pay to pay tuition, but it is much less. And on top of that, the students then have this work experience and they're exposed to all of these different fields that a lot of them would not have been otherwise, which is what I really love about the program, honestly. I was working in the corporate work study office at Detroit Creasery High School, 
And because of my degree, my boss at the time was like, oh, you you can teach the children. (laughs) (laughs) And I sort of got roped into being the advisor for a program called Get It. It's a program that encourages girls to learn web development and robotics. And there's a competition at the end of each semester. Okay. And I was like, I took one robotics class in college. I don't know how to teach anyone anything. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But I was also kind of like, well, I guess we're going to figure this out. Yeah. And I reached out to just, it was just Detroit at girldevelopit.com. And I was basically like, please help me. I will do whatever you want me to do. I will volunteer for you. I will, I don't care what it is, but I need to learn how to teach and I need to brush up on my web development skills. <laughs> Cause at that point I had never done any professional web development. I didn't, uh-huh. I didn't know for sure that what I knew was valid or <laughs> what a professional would, t- would be teaching them. I just had no idea. And I was really lucky. Erica, I'm going to butcher her name and I, I really hope she doesn't hear this. Erica Langrand is one of the co-founders of the Detroit chapter of Girl Develop It. Okay. And she reached out to me and was like, oh, of course, just come, just come and, and sit in on a class. Like, you're absolutely welcome. And I was just, and it was so great. I, and if I remember correctly, actually, uh, not only, so Erica also works at Detroit Labs. And not only that, but I'm pretty sure the woman that was teaching that first class that I sat in on is now also working at Detroit Labs. Wow. <laughs> so it's just all come full circle. It's a family. Uh, it is. <laughs> but yeah, so after that, I just got more and more involved. I just dove in. I was volunteering to TA for every class. Mm-hmm. And eventually I was like, eventually they asked if I would be comfortable teaching. And I was like, well, if you think I could do it. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Uh, and by, by the end of that year, which would have been 2014, I think in the fall, they asked if I would consider being part of the leadership team. And that was how it happened. Wow. I'm getting like this overarching theme from, I think not just, you know, the work that you do, but also just kind of how you're moving through life at this point, which is like, I don't know this thing, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. There's a lot of that. (laughs) I mean, but it served you well. I mean, you have have founded, you know, this couch house Detroit, where it's not only where you live, but you're also able to accept other people in from the community or from, from elsewhere. You're doing this great volunteer work with girl develop it. You're also working doing web development at Detroit labs. And all of it is kind of built out of that same spirit. It feels like. Absolutely. How did you sort of first get interested in tech? I know you you kind of briefly mentioned Fordham. Is that where you sort of first started learning about all this? Yeah. So actually, my mother worked for IBM for 30 years. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. She (laughs) She started in the 70s, which is astounding to me. She's like, this like 20 year old black woman with a giant Afro with a red streak in it. And she's like, (laughs) just like a, some sort of systems engineer. And which is just wild to me. She, yeah, she worked for IBM for 30 years, not always in a technical position. She eventually was doing sales and like sales management towards the, towards the end of her career, especially but she always retained this like love of the tech industry, not even so much the industry, but just what you can do mm-hmm. with technology and particularly with code. And so it was always sort of on the table for me, which is, I like truly recognize my privilege in that like, I don't think I would be doing anything like what I'm doing if not for my mom. But I actually learned to code. I started 
teaching myself <laughs> basic web development mm-hmm. through Neopets. That's yeah, a big, which I, that's a big entry point for a lot of people that I I don't yeah. see mentioned enough. Yeah, and I had no idea. I I I don't know why, but for the longest time, I truly thought like this was just the strangest thing, and no like real web developer ever <laughs> like learned through Neopets. Oh, please. but it's a thing. Uh, yeah, it's definitely it's, a thing, especially if you came about in the early, I'd say like early to mid. 90s and 2000s like mm-hmm. neopets myspace black planet all of these like social ish spaces that also gave you some element of creation and customization with html and stuff oh yeah, yeah. absolutely i'll never forget the first time i like saw somebody post on twitter about that and i was like yes my people <laughs> But yeah, I think, I think I, even Chrissy Teigen mentioned like get like starting like <laughs> basic like learning some basic web skills with Neopet. So like everyone's doing it. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Who are some of yeah. your influences? Like when you look back at at everything that you've done to this point, who are some of the the people that have influenced you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so definitely my mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. My I. I actually have the best mom. Like it's not even, it's not even a thing. Like my mom is incredible in so many ways. And that is one of them. She is just the most generous and like truly caring, like, like deeply, deeply kind people that I can even imagine, let alone that I know. Mm-hmm. And I like literally, if I am, if I am like a fraction, like a quarter of the person and the mother and the friend that she is, like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Influences. There are definitely kind of other, other people that have been sort of a guiding light for me. And Erica Langrand. Hopefully that's how you say that. I've definitely asked her husband several times. (laughs) (laughs) So Erica Langrand is absolutely a guiding light in my life. And I've I've told her that several times. (laughs) She not only was that initial contact for me through Girl Development, uh, when I was still a volunteer full time and wasn't sure, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to stay in Detroit. I wasn't sure where I was going to live or <laughs> where I was going to work or what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. But she was just so welcoming and so willing to kind of put herself out there and connect me with resources. It was amazing. I've been lucky enough to then kind of circle back and get to work with her and have her literally be my guide at Detroit Labs, kind of help me start to shape my career. And I can't thank her enough. Yeah, there are a lot of women in my life that have, have been that for me. One other that comes to mind is one of my best friends. Uh, her name is Jessica Vaughn. Uh, and she is, she's a, she's another, she's a software engineer also here in Detroit. She's the other chapter leader, the other current chapter leader of Girl Develop at Detroit. And just like, she just has so much going for her. And it's so, it's so exciting to see her grow and learn and kind of come into her her stride i guess because mm-hmm. we we actually started working together at a coding boot camp called uh, at a coding boot camp called grand circus also in detroit okay. <laughs> uh, that's that's how i met her and we we sort of naturally grew into friends and it was amazing to have this, this one other person. Cause at the time when I started there, I was the only developer on staff. We hired out, we hired teachers to come in and teach, but I was the, 
I was the only one who was like a developer and also working there full time. And so it was amazing to be able to bounce stuff off of each other and to have this other like young black woman who was in the same space. Yeah. It was just incredible to have that connection and then to be able to kind of grow together and support each other through the years that followed and continuing on into well into the future, hopefully. So aside from everything that you're doing between work and the house and everything, what do you do in your spare time? Do you have any other like projects that you work on or creative projects, stuff like that? I do. In fact, I was buying Christmas presents for my sister two years ago, two years ago. And I was kind of looking around Michael's like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get her some knitting needles. I'm going to get her, you know, set up with a little kit so she can start knitting. Cause that was another volunteer thing that I did for a while. <laughs> um, and I was kind of looking around at the other stuff, just poking. I saw this book on creating wire earrings Okay. I was like, oh, that that kind of sounds like fun. Like, I like wearing earrings, <laughs> and I don't have very many of them. I wonder what it would be like to to make them. Yeah, you know? and that set off this just complete obsession. I went home that night, and I you know wrapped up my little knitting supplies, and then I sat on YouTube for an embarrassing amount of time, mm-hmm. <laughs> just watching all of these videos creating wire jewelry and you know i did that kind of off and on for a while just as a hobby uh and this year i joined a makerspace called i3 it just sort of exploded like i i got access to tools that i never i never would have bought on my own mm-hmm. I started learning new techniques and my jewelry really changed from this sort of fun crafty thing that I did for, you know, me and my fa- my friends and my family to this thing that I was like, you know, this is something that anyone might want to wear. This is something like really cool and handmade but also beautiful and valuable. Just recently I started to I started to sell my jewelry, um, and it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I work mostly with sterling silver. I have done a couple of projects in gold as well, fourteen karat gold, mm-hmm. and I love gemstones. I have a little bit of a problem. <laughs> I will I will like pour through just handfuls of of gemstones and try to pick out the best ones that I can actually afford. (laughs) And I love, I feel like gemstones are starting to get a bit of a, or they're starting to increase more in popularity. Thanks to Steven universe. Yeah, there is, there's a lot of that. My, my boyfriend actually got me into watching Steven universe. (laughs) And so I have for Christmas this past year, he got me (laughs) like a little handful of, rose quartz oh how nice <laughs> yeah so i've definitely gotta gotta make some some uh, little little rings and bangles with that i'm excited <laughs> what advice would you give to somebody that's if they're listening to this interview and they're hearing about all of these things that you've accomplished what advice would you give to somebody that wants to follow in your footsteps and do that in their community Ooh. i would say that it's really, really important to ask for help when you need it. And I know that that's, that can be incredibly difficult. I struggle with it myself. But the doors that open when you do that are just so far and beyond worth the, the like pain that you feel when you kind of open yourself up like that. It's just, it's incredible. And 
I think that is really what has allowed me to do all of the things that I do is that I do a lot of things and I probably stretch myself too thin a lot of the time. But when I do, and in some cases before I do, I make sure that I have somebody in my corner who is either going to be able to be a resource for me or be support or even be a partner in Mm -hmm. the thing that I'm trying to do. I guess one thing I also want to ask is, you know, we're, this interview is going to be airing right at the beginning of the year. What do you want to accomplish for 2019? What do you have in mind? Well, I've been doing a lot of speaking at different conferences around, around the country. And I'm sort of shifting focus for this year. I am, I'm still going to be speaking, but I really want to focus in on finding the conferences and the communities that I fit the best with and that sort of gel the best with the direction I'm going in my career. So I'm trying to refine that list. I'm also working on a couple of local conferences that I'm helping to organize, which is very exciting. So that is going to be WordCamp Detroit and also Self Conference, which I helped to organize in 2018 as well. That was actually my first conference ever that I attended, that I spoke at. Uh, So it's really, really special for me to be able to organize it now. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to growing um, growing my jewelry business into a real business that allows me to kind of exercise my creativity as well. Because I do get some of that at work, but it's also really incredible to be able to make something with my hands. Yeah, most people something that I talk to that are like that are web developers or designers or anything, they have to have something tactile to work with. I feel like yeah. it's a hobby. It's a good yeah. counterpoint. For sure. It's something really personal for people. Like for, for me, I, I wore the same necklace that my mom gave me for probably 12 years without mm-hmm. really a break. It's really special to be able to create something like that for someone else. Well, just to, you know, kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Anybody is welcome to connect with me through Twitter. And I'm not super, not super creative with my names. It's just at Aisha Blake. You can find my occasional blog posts at AishaBlake.com. And uh, you can find my jewelry at zurijewelry.co and that's z-u-r-i jewelry correct all right sounds good well aisha blake thank you so much for coming on the show and then i said this you know kind of earlier through the interview as you kept talking about your work and talking about how you came to detroit fell in love with the city i just got this like these overarching themes of discovery and community and giving back are like the main things in your life in general, like whether it's your career, whether it's even what you're doing, like with, with your jewelry and everything, it's about having people discover new things, discover new talents about themselves. It's about getting to know the community that you're in. And then also giving back to that community, whether it's volunteering, whether it's couch surfing, anything like that. And I think these are principles, which hopefully for folks that are listening, we can kind of take into this new year. And I know that we are in some really like weirdly divisive times. And I feel like these are themes that hopefully we can take into the new year and try to turn things around, you know? So thank you so much for just being so inspiring for telling your story. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Aisha Blake and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Aisha and her work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Google Design, and MailChimp. 
You know, designing at Facebook means more than just making pixel-perfect prototypes. It's designing experiences like disaster relief tools or get-out-the-vote efforts. It's working on problems that transform a number of different industries. And it also means caring about the design community and giving back to it as well. So if influencing strategy and working alongside technical leads and engineers on a product from start to finish sounds good to you, then you might want to give Facebook Design a try. Learn more about them at facebook.com forward slash design. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well, including us. You know, MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. Revision Path is brought to you by Glitch, the friendly community where you'll find the app of your dreams. Make sure you check us out today at Glitch.com. We're also powered by Simplecast, which is the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Mandre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes about a minute or so to do. It really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere, not just here in the U.S., but internationally as well. You can also find us on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us also on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 